Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. Today, we'll be talking about insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a familiar word to many, if not most people today, uh, but when they hear the word, many people associate it with exercise or stretching. But actually, it's a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity. And what we're really talking about is bringing together our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Our topic today is moving towards peace. How can we navigate life's challenging times and find our way to peace? Today, we'll be talking about simple meditative practices to ease body, mind, and soul. My guest today is Dean Slider, who gives talks, workshops, and retreats throughout the United States and beyond, from Ivy League colleges to maximum security prisons. A student of Eastern and Western sages in several traditions, Dean has completed numerous numerous pilgrimages and retreats in India, Tibet, Nepal, and the West. He is known for conveying authentic teachings in forms that are relaxed, accessible, and down-to-earth. Dean Slider has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening since 1970. He has written five books, including Natural Meditation and his current book, Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. You can find out more about his work at fearlessbook.net. That's Fearless Book, the title of his book, Fearless Book Without Any Spaces.net. Welcome, Dean Slider. I'm delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thanks so much. It's great to be back. Mm. Before we begin our dialogue about moving toward peace, let's start with a moment of meditation, a yoga moment. So let's start by turning our attention within, taking this moment out of our busy day to just be present here and now. And let's use a tool that's always with us, our breath. Our breath can help us bring our attention and awareness to this moment right here and now. So let's start just noticing as we inhale 
and exhale. Just noticing the natural flow of our breathing, not trying to change it, just noticing. Feeling the cool air as it enters the nostrils and the warm air flowing out. Each inhale, we can dive within. And each exhale, we can relax. In this moment, as we dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts or feelings as they arise, and we can watch them as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words or thoughts, beyond all change. Just being. We feel the peace that emanates from this essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Dean, Dean Slider, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Thanks so much. So, um, I'm really happy that you could join me today to discuss your new book, uh, Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. And you have been on the show last time when we were discussing your book, Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditation Practice, which I think is a, a great book. So, your new book, as I mentioned, is called Fearless, and you apply those techniques of natural meditation to help us find our way to peace through these more you know, difficult emotions. What, what drew you to write about the topics of your new book, Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction? Well, those four things, fear, anxiety, anger, and addiction, they just seem to be so pervasive these days. It's, it's almost as if they're, they're in the air or in the drinking water or something. I yeah. go on college campuses and I talk to the counselors there and 
they tell me about the students who maybe, you know, five, seven years ago were talking about depression are lining up to talk about anxiety. It, it just seems to be the the malady of our time. Uh, I just was talking to someone a few weeks ago I met on the road somewhere who told me about the college campus where her daughter is going, where they now have therapy dogs in every dorm because the anxiety mm. is so pervasive. Mm. So why do you think that is? What you know, it does seem that anxiety is much right. more prevalent, you know, today. What's well, your thought about that? You know, I, I think there's, it's, it's kind of a perfect storm of a number of things. Uh, the political situation, very obviously, whatever people's politics are, this, it's, it's been a white knuckle ride the last couple of years. Um, and also, I think that uh, among the young people, we now have the first um, iPhone generation uh, going right. to college, people who've grown up without ever... Uh, not having this source of constant stimulation uh, available in their pockets and kind of compelling them to, uh, you know, in a way, people who are, the young folks who are on social media constantly, it's kind of like my nightmare of being back in high school at the, <laughs> at the, in the cafeteria and who's sitting at this table, and who's sitting at that table and who's included, who's excluded, who's, right. who's got approval and who doesn't, but it's, it's nonstop. So I, yeah. I think those are factors as well. I also, I, you know, a, a few months ago, um, a young guy in his twenties who came to our, one of our regular Tuesday night, sessions here in Santa Monica. Uh, and he wanted to talk to me more about things. So we went out for coffee later and he started talking about anxiety. And I asked him, what is it with, <laughs> with the millennials and anxiety? And he said, we don't know who we are. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what it's all about. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And then he shrugged and he said, so we write apps. Mm. Wow. It was so, so sad. Yeah. Oh, I, I wonder too. And one of the things I've noticed about social media is uh, I remember a time in my own life and then in uh, my son's lives that I watched the same process in them when they were going particularly through their teens. You know, you, you obviously were intimately associated and we know what's going on inside of us. So we know our own inside. But then the tendency is to compare our inside with everybody else's outside, right? Everybody looks so put together. And I think social media just really exacerbates that because now you're flooded with pictures of, you know, people, uh, say, Instagram, you know, they're on a vacation or, you know, whatever, uh, or they're, you know, they, you don't post, do an Instagram post when you're feeling terrible. <laughs> you do it when you're feeling good. Right. So here we are comparing our insights with everybody else's outsides. I think it yeah. even exacerbates that more. Yeah. Why is everyone so happy and joyous and successful and beautiful except me? Right. Absolutely. When you've woken up that morning and you have a acne on your face or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not the day you're going to post an Instagram. Right, right, right. But the thing is, and, and I know you're familiar with this principle, it's always the things that seem like the obstacles on our spiritual path that are our spiritual path. You know, it's the material that we're given that's the road. 
So in this case, in, in the, the new book, I have a chapter called Meditating with the iPhone Zero. And what I do is I take smartphone addiction and flip it around. How can we use this as a springboard into meditation while you're standing there, you know, online at the pharmacy waiting for your prescription to be filled? And there's the, you know, the temptation. And and I have it. I'm very familiar with it. You know, it just becomes a reflex. Your hand goes to your pocket. I'm, I'm standing here. I have nothing in particular to do except to be, which is of course, completely intolerable to just being. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I've, I've got the, the, you know, the handy distractomatic right here in my pocket. So, right. you know, there must be another email or another news event or the president tweeted something else something. exciting. Yeah. Uh, and so what I do in this case is I say, okay, when that, here's, this, here's the technique for meditating with the iPhone Zero. I say, when you feel that impulse coming, so, and sometimes you're going to follow that impulse, fine. But at least sometimes when you feel that impulse, kind of tie yourself to the mast, just don't do it. Now, when you do that, when you stand there in line if waiting for your coffee or whatever it is, not reaching for your phone, you're going to feel a wave of anxiety. Mm. Know that that's going to happen. It's going to be like, but, 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 oh, maybe there's, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, you're going to feel a wave of anxiety. Know that that is supposed to happen. That's part of the experience. Let mm-hmm. Don't try to suppress that. You let that wave of anxiety crash over you until it's done. And then what you'll experience is what is on the back end of that wave, which is something called peace. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing that I, you know, I mean, People like you and me, you know, we're 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 these crazy folks who are <laughs> committed to sitting and meditating every day, um, and hopefully other people will will pick up on that and do it. But not everyone necessarily is going to do that. But everyone is going to be in that situation with the iPhone. So I like, and I especially have been doing a lot of that in my workshops lately, and and in this new book, giving people little things that they can do in the thick of it, in the, the battlefield of life to, to just ease things up, to just dip their toe into that ocean of silence. And then I think that softens them up and makes them more inclined toward, oh, maybe I'll actually sit down and have a meditation practice in the morning or in the evening. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. One thing I love about your work is even this idea of, of natural meditation. So mm-hmm. um that's one of the core practices you discuss in your book. So let's talk for a minute about what do you mean by that? What is natural meditation and how does it differ from other forms of meditation? Right. Natural meditation uses the natural tendency of the mind to automatically go in the direction of something that's more enjoyable or interesting or fulfilling. And it's, it's going on all the time. Let's forget about meditation for the moment. In every instant of our lives, that's what's going on. We're, you, know, you, you sit down in the restaurant, your finger runs down the menu. Okay, do I want the, you know, the, the, the pizza or do I want the salad, whatever. What you, what you want is infinite, boundless happiness <laughs> now and forever. Uh, yeah, sign me which, up. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. It's and uh, so what you want is nirvana, the kingdom of heaven within God, whatever your 
preferred inadequate term for it is. Uh, but that ain't on the menu. So, you know, you settle for the pizza. And and that, in, in essence, is the story of our lives. In every moment, we are looking for boundlessness, boundless, blissful okayness, and then we settle for the best facsimile, the closest approximation we can come to it in, in what's available in that moment. And that's because our mind is automatically going there all the time. So, for instance, people who are listening to this conversation right now, hey, this is pretty interesting. But if something, if all of a sudden uh, a circus parade goes past your window and there's clowns and elephants and jugglers and, the, you know, the pretty lady in the sequin dress dancing on the back of the white horse, wow, a circus parade, <laughs> your attention is going to go to that. You don't have to make an effort. And you don't even have to make a decision. It's like, you know, heat-seeking missiles. We are fulfillment-seeking, or we could say nirvana-seeking organisms. So what natural meditation does is to take advantage of this nature of the mind. Because all the sages tell us, and for you know people like you and me who've been practicing for a while, it, it's, it becomes evident that they knew what they were talking about, the field of greatest happiness, the complete fulfillment, the boundless okayness is, in fact, within us. So it's just some initial getting turned within and letting that, you could say, gravity take over. But it also, you know, to me, um, kind of conveys the idea that meditation is not necessarily something that is odd or, you know... (laughs) far away from us, it, it is a natural process. And, and I, I, I love that about it. And uh, that's certainly how Yogacharya O'Brien, my teacher, you know, really talks about meditation is it, it's, a, it's a natural process. It's not something that is, um, you know, for, foreign to us. And what I like about your books is you really, you really, you know, kind of um, take that along the whole, you know, the, along the whole, right. like you expound on that idea, you know, how um, as simple as breathing. I know that's one of yeah. the techniques in your natural meditation book is the one breath, right, <laughs> literally right, right, one right, breath. Right. Really, that's it. Just just one breath. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, there's that wonderful line in the Bhagavad Gita: a, "Even a little of this Dharma delivers from great fear." Mm-hmm. So if you can get people to, you know, people ask me how long should I meditate, uh, and I tell them, well, it. You know, great, if you can sit down for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, something like that, that's fine. But even if you sit and close your eyes and just allow things to settle for five minutes, for one minute, for one moment, for, as you say, the span of a single breath. I think if you, let's say we take a person, a hypothetical person, who goes through the day, has certain challenges, is exposed to certain you know, kinds of dramas and demands and so forth, and is just caught up in that all that drama and trauma for, for the entire day. Now, take that same person exposed to all the same dramas and traumas, and instead of for the being just caught up in it for 24 hours, they're caught up in it for 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 30 seconds. And for 30 <laughs> seconds, they're just settling within. They're, they're letting go. They're getting off the grid of all of that. Of, they're getting off the movie. And I think there's a big difference between those 
two versions of that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the experience, you know, of it, um, as you said, you know, it builds on itself. So yeah. we've been talk- talking about the importance of of practice, particularly meditation practice, to help us uh, overcome fear. The other comp- component of awakening you describe is view. And I thought right. this was great. So can you say a little bit more about that? What do you mean by view? Right. Um, and and this is a term that became uh, really important to me in, in my years of studying with Buddhist teachers. They, they use that term a lot. Um, so and, and they say that there's really two aspects of the spiritual path, the practice and, and the view. So the practice is, do, is method, is, okay, you close your eyes, someone has shown you how simple it is to just l- let go and allow gravity to take over, great. And then we can have all these other methods during the day, like using the, like not reaching for your iPhone, or you know, I give a number of, of other things in the book, like there's one... Uh, breathing through your feet, things like that. Now, view is a matter of not view as in opinion, but view as in the literal meaning of the word seeing clearly the situation, as opposed to the funny ideas that you had about the situation. So, for example, let's say I come home one afternoon and there's a tiger in my living room. Now, this is alarming. So naturally, my blood pressure becomes elevated, my heart rate becomes elevated, uh, my mouth goes dry. All these very real, concrete, physiological uh, symptoms of stress start to happen to me. I start to panic. I start banging on pots and pans to drive the tiger out the door, or I, you know, start looking up on my phone. You know, uh, find tiger exterminators near me, or whatever it is. And then let's say my wife comes home a few minutes later and says, Hi, Dean, do you like the the beautiful paper tiger I brought home from the gallery? Isn't it lifelike? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I like the example in the book, actually. You talk about your neighbor is looking through binoculars at your house. yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The neighbors looking and go and go. Oh, what is? He's a spy. He's a he's terrorist. a spy, right? Right. My yeah. my my whole you know lovely suburban street has just been turned into this this you know nightmare alley. And then one day he comes by and he says, with the binoculars in hand, he says, "Hey, do you know you've got this uh, rare uh, hummingbird living in your tree? Would you like to take a look?" And then <sighs> all that falls away. <laughs> now, in both of those instances. Once I get the correct view of what's going on, which simply means the real view, free of the obscurations of my false ideas, my elevated blood pressure comes back down to normal. My dry mouth stops becoming dry. Again, real concrete physiological change happens just by seeing clearly. But but it's not a method. I don't have to practice that every day. I only have to see it clearly once, and uh, okay, I'm, 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 I can't unsee that clear view. Now, what the sages tell us is that life is a paper tiger. We think that life is is some. In, you know, we we come up with thousands and thousands of ways of thinking of constructing these. 
these these ideas about why life as it is in this moment is not okay, why something has to be added to it or taken away from it for me to be able to relax and just go, ah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this, of course, does not mean we become passive and apathetic. Again, back to the Bhagavad Gita, the two great teachings that uh, Krishna gives to Arjuna um, and I love the fact that the teachings are given not to a monk in a cave, but to a warrior on the battlefield just before the battle begins, because that's us in the, the battlefield of life. So the two, exactly. the two great teachings that, that, you know, and of course, in the case of this warrior, Arjuna, he's, he's very fortunate that his, his chauffeur happens to be God. Uh, <laughs> that's nice. Uh, Charioteer, yeah, the, that's great. In the in the form of Krishna, infinite love, compassion, wisdom, and I just to let you and, know, we got about a minute before the break. Oh, so great, perfect. So so Krishna tells him uh, two great teachings. One is sink into yourself, sink into the silence, meditate, be without the three gunas in the technical language, and then go forth, fight your battle, established in yoga, established in union with what you truly are with that silence, perform action, and then action becomes much more effective and dynamic, not passive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. Now, that, that's, uh, that's um, pithy and really valuable you know, advice. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with special guest Dean Slider. Dean has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening since 1970. His most recent book, which is the one we're discussing today, is Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. You can find out more about Dean's schedule and his books at um, fearlessbook.net. That's the name of his book, Fearless Books, uh, Fearless, rather, um, and no uh, spaces, so fearlessbook.net. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back, we're going to be really diving more deeply into practices. Um, now, we've talked about a fear um, and anxiety and how these are so common today. Um, and... Dean has some really wonderful ideas. We've already had a sneak preview of that with his uh, exercise with the iPhone. We'll have more of that when we come back. for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. 
go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Confucius said that to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. If we can let our past remain in the past, we are not compelled to endlessly reenact it. If we seek to understand the situations in the other person's life and put forth the effort to walk a mile in his shoes, we may be less quick to take offense at what may be directed toward us. Understand that forgiving does not mean excusing. But dwelling on past slights or offenses can never help us grow. Unforgiveness always diminishes us. An African proverb says, The one who forgives ends the quarrel. You can be a powerful agent for healing. Let go of old hurts. Let the past be the past. Forgive. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. If you've been thinking of going vegan or you have been following a vegan lifestyle for years, the Main Street Vegan Academy Cookbook will become your go-to resource. Victoria Moran, JL Fields, and certified vegan lifestyle coaches will show you how easy and delicious it can be to go vegan. With over 100 plant-based recipes, you'll never get bored, and the book is packed with tips and strategies to transform your cooking and your life. Available now at Amazon.com or your local bookstore. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of The Yoga Hour, and my guest today is Dean Slider. Dean is a student of Eastern and Western sages in several traditions, and he teaches natural meditation methods, both nationally and internationally. His most recent book that we're talking about today is Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. So, so Dean, um, you mentioned, you alluded briefly to this practice of uh, breathe breathe through your feet. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great one. So can you share that with our listeners? Yes. And in fact, I've been finding this is one of my most popular methods coming out of this book. The day before the book w- was published in March, this chapter showed up on Oprah's website. 
So ah. this one's got the, the Oprah.com seal of approval. Uh, and and I like it because it's simple. I can share it with people in about 30 seconds. So people who are listening to this, and whether you're um, you're sitting comfortably at home or whether this is one of the few things you can actually do even while you're 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 driving, walking, anything. Um, but if you're sitting, great. Um, so just bring your attention to the soles of your feet. And notice that it doesn't take any effort to do that. As soon as I say soles of the feet, your attention is there. There's no work involved. There's some, you know, am I actually feeling the soles of my feet, imagining it? It's not important. There's something going on there with the attention on the soles of the feet. Now, another thing that's happening without effort is that you're breathing. You can't help it. You breathe in, and after a while you breathe out. So now as you breathe in, just imagine that you're breathing in through the soles of your feet. And then as you breathe out, imagine you're breathing out through the soles of your feet. And your breath might be fast or slow, shallow or deep. Other things are going on at the same time. There's sounds going on. There's thoughts going on, feelings, whatever. doesn't matter. Just Simply breathing through your feet, not trying to push anything away, not trying to concentrate, not trying to feel any special result. Just the simplicity, breathing in through your feet, breathing out through your feet. And that's it. That's it. And most people will notice that even just a few breaths, in, you know, what you could do while in the time you're sitting at, at the red light waiting for it to turn green, you know, you, you have a choice. You can sit there, you know, gritting your teeth and trying to make the, the light turn green faster, <laughs> just in case for once that works, even though it has not worked for the, for the previous 40 or 50 years that you've tried to do that. Or you can just sit there and uh, chill and breathe through your feet. And, and it's, the very, it's very grounding, as they say. It is. It's, it's very <laughs> grounding. It's very, yeah, yeah and it's, it's a kind of a miracle. People really just feel some, some just settling into, into that silent place with that. Um, and we don't, and I love it because we don't have to call it meditation. Uh, we don't have, it's, just, it's so simple. Anyone can, can do it. And um, if you're caught up in something, so let's say, um, you 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 really dislike public speaking, and you've got to get up, and they're introducing you. You got to get up and give your speech, and you know the you feel the room spinning around you, and your mouth getting dry, and all that. So just while they're introducing you, breathe through your feet. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're doing that, it means you can't be completely caught up in the the. The, the the panic symptoms. There's a part of you that's outside of that, that's free, that's just breathing through your feet. And that creates some space. Uh, you, you know, it lets some of the, the, the air out of the, 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 the other thing, the stressy thing. Well, that's really lovely. And then another practice that you talk about in the book is relax at the moment of contact. Yeah. So what yeah. do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, the story that I tell in the book, the way I learned this actually uh, when years ago when I was living in New Jersey and I was studying this beautiful non-fighting martial art called Aikido. 
where when the the other person comes at you, you don't oppose him. Instead, you you pivot. You use his momentum to just help him fly across the room or roll across the map. Mm-hmm. And I was studying for my next uh, the exam for my next promotion, and I and I was practicing um, a technique where three people one after another keep rushing you and trying to tackle you. And the idea is, as each one comes in, I turn, pivot, use his momentum, send him sailing across the room. But instead, what happened was I kept freezing up. I kept finding myself grappling with the first guy. Then the second guy would come and knock me down, and the third one would dog pile on top of us. It was it was a mess. So I'm in the middle of this very unsuccessful, miserable <laughs> attempt to, to practice this. And suddenly, I hear the voice of of my teacher. Uh, his name was Rick Stickles. He was a wonderful teacher. And he's halfway across the room going up the stairs to the men's dressing room. And he called out, Dean, relax at the moment of contact. Mm. Now, I didn't realize that I was freezing up at the moment of contact because I was so caught up in freezing up at the moment of contact. Right. So the next time that a guy rushed me, instead of tightening up instead of my shoulders hunching up toward my head, I relaxed. I I let my energy drop toward my center and doing the same, technically the same thing. You know, I'd been planting my feet correctly and swiveling my hips correctly, but now it worked. And now the guy just sailed across the room and the Mm -hmm. next guy and the next guy. It was like a miracle. And then I would forget to do it and I'd freeze up again. And again, he would shout, (laughs) relax at the moment of contact. Yeah. well, in, I love in, that because um, I think it's such a good uh, sort of visual uh, image or representation. Isn't that what we all do? You know, anything that comes up in our life that's a shock or a surprise or something that, that frightens us. I mean, that's the moment of contact. Exactly. Exactly. So it can be, you know, the guy who, who on the highway who thinks that you've cut him off and is is directing some kind of road rage thing at you, or it can be sitting down with the exam, the final exam at the end of the school year. It can be making the sales call that you have to make or asking that nice person for a date, whatever the thing is that makes you feel caught up in anxiety or fear or or anger, whatever. That moment of contact, of contact And it's exactly the opposite of the thing that we usually do habitually, which is to tighten up. And just to have that idea, just to have that thought, relax at the moment of contact. Okay, let me just, you know, if necessary, put it on a post-it, you know, write it on the inside of your hand or something to remind yourself. Mm -hmm. So you also talk about in the book, uh, actually, um, in the chapter, Every Little Thing, the emphasis of that chapter is on don't worry. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a great idea, you know, and it's kind of the same thing. Maybe people are asking, so relax at the point of contact. It's a great idea. But um, even though we consciously may think that, you know, mm-hmm. then there's still the tendency, you know, of that, you know, with don't worry. It's like, well, yeah, I can tell myself not to worry, but the worry comes back and back. So what right. practices can help with that? either relax at the moment, contact, and you say, well, yeah, I'd like to, but... <laughs> right, right. No, no, <laughs> and they, well, there's a, there's a couple of things, um, and, and a lot of these methods can be used um, to cut through worry. For instance, 
you know, we, we started off the hour with you leading the meditation with that, you know, beautiful mantra, Om, which of course is, is profound and beautiful. Another mantra that I um, uh, like to share with people, and this is in a chapter called Resting Bliss Face. Uh, and, uh, that, and the mantra is, Wee! And, and, <laughs> and, and when you use the mantra, you have to accompany it with the proper mudra, which is, of course, flinging your hands up in the air. Um, and, and in my workshops, I have people do this, Wee! and you know, do that three times, and then try to be depressed or try to be worried. And, and you can't do it. And this is because of something that actually was first studied by Darwin. It's called the facial feedback hypothesis. Uh, when you feel joy, it tends to make you smile. But also when you smile, you tend to feel joy. There's that facial feedback. And you can't say, wee, without smiling. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of methods like that that we can use to cut through worry. And then there is a, a matter coming back to view, view. And my favorite quote uh, about this is from Shantideva, a great 6th century Buddhist sage who said, if there's a solution to the problem, what's the point of worrying? If there's no solution to the problem, what's the point of worrying? Mm. Yeah. And and the modern version of that, um, which I have a chapter with this title, Would It Help? And it's from the Steven Spielberg uh, film uh, from 2015, Bridge of Spies, where Tom Hanks is the lawyer for this captured Soviet spy played by the brilliant uh, Mark Rylance. And and he tells him, you know, the the, the Russians and the Americans both want to see you go to the electric chair. And and the the spy, Rudolf Abel, considers it for a moment. He says, all right. And Tom Hanks says, you don't seem worried. And he says, he shrugs, he says, would it help? Mm. So that's another one to, to, to you know, write on the inside of your hand. Would it help? Does it help? Just, again, this is a matter of view. It's not a matter of trying to suppress worry or, you know, trying to suppress any emotion. It, it always backfires. If anything, it just, you know, presses it down into the body where it becomes back pain or, you know, hypertension or something. Mm-hmm. But just having that view, noticing, and sometimes it's easier to see in other people, use other people's caughtness as, uh, to, to instruct ourselves. Watch other people. Wor- you know, a lot of people think, well, if I'm not worrying, I'm being irresponsible. But does worrying about, <laughs> yeah, right there. See, that's view right there. Seeing mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's silly. When, when, if for one moment you can see that with some clarity, you go, that's crazy. Thinking that worrying makes things better. If anything, it makes me less effective in action. It makes me less um, clear in my vision of what's required in this moment. It makes me less able to compassionately aid the people around me. Mm-hmm. No, and absolutely. You... <clears throat> and I think you have to pair that with some of these other, you know, uh, more uh, in the moment body exercises that we've been talking about, like breathing through your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because right. there's a way that you can approach things with your thoughts, you know, and, and certainly I think that's very useful, you know, to, um, 
do the type of self-study. It's really self-study that you're talking about, which is one of the key principles you know, of yoga, is that self-study and looking like, would it help? I mean, that's that's a great that's a great question. Is is this worry that I'm doing? Is that going to help the situation? Um, that's a way of of studying our mind and how our mind right. works, you know, and working right. with it, and then pairing that with a bodily uh, practice, like right. certainly any form of meditation, but you know, breathing through your feet. Then to ground that, I think, is also a very uh, helpful component that can help. Is because there's also a physiological part that you mentioned. Right. You know, when we are stressed or in fear or, or anxiety, um, adrenaline is very high, and it has right. those effects that you mentioned. You know, your heart starts racing, your mouth gets dry, um, and and so there's a physical nature to those responses. So right. being yeah. able to ground that, you know, is is uh, in, in with with something other than your thoughts. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And and that we're so fortunate that, you know, in particular, the yogic tradition has, you know, had thousands of years of research and development of people finding out what works. Simple thing, I, I give a, just a few pages of, of um, suggestions for breathing in the book, because that, that's really all it takes. And one is, is uh, what yogis know as ujjayi breath. Uh, mm-hmm. Non-yogi for the non-yogis, I call it Darth Vader breath, because everyone knows. <laughs> That's what I always about. think about. <laughs> right. So you know that that little constriction in the back of your throat, so that your breath sounds like. And yogis were doing that thousands of years ago, and just you know from trial and error, they discovered, boy, that really just pacifies the whole system. Now, much more recently, of course, science discovered that, well, when you do that, when you constrict the back of your throat like that, you're stimulating the vagus nerve, which switches off the sympathetic nervous system, switches on the parasympathetic nervous system, which switches off fight-or-flight syndrome and switches on what I call the the stay-and-play syndrome. I like that. Stay and play. I like that better than rest and digest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or graze and gaze. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right. They're always, until you're fully cooked, until you're fully awake, and then you can forget about all this stuff and just, <laughs> just walk down the street being boundlessly happy, while we're still in process, there always has to be method and, and view. Both. For instance, another one of my favorite things, and, and there's a chapter on this in the book, and I've been finding people in my workshops really respond to this, is drop your thoughts. Drop your thoughts. And you can, to remind yourself of this, you can just clap your hands in front of your eyes, and for five seconds, just l- relax your grip on whatever thoughts are there. After six seconds, you can pick them up again. Now, what this does is it helps us to see how much of what we think of as our reality is just made out of thoughts. So, for example, when you're sound asleep, when you're in the state of deep, dreamless sleep, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Right. Right. You're none of the above because we think, oh, this is what I am. But that is 100%. It's not what you are. It's a bunch of thoughts that you're in the habit of having, and you have them so habitually, you've come to identify with them and thinking, oh, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian, I'm a Buddhist, I'm an atheist, I'm a, I'm a whatever. And 
I'm a loser, I'm a winner, I'm the, um, the, the responsible child in the family and I have to take care of everyone, I'm the schlemiel in the family and I'll always, you know, just be un, uh, unrewarded, I'm not good enough, I'm too good, you know, all of this stuff is just that's such a burden. Oh, I'm the one who has this sad, troubled history that I'm pulling along behind me like a bunch of tin cans tied to my bumper. It's all 100% made out of thoughts. So we drop it every night. We drop it all for six, seven, eight hours. But we also actually drop it many, many times during the day. So that, for instance, when you're trying to parallel park in a tight space, you're not a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> you, right. you can't think about it. You can't think about it. So just recognizing that, and any time we can drop any thought, even for a moment, our nervous system is learning how to function and enjoy in that space of freedom. So any time we can drop any thought, even for a moment, it's weakening the grip that all thoughts have on us. We, we, they'll still, they'll come back, but more and more we see, oh, those are just thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and uh, people who think that they are their thoughts, uh, you know, again, another great, you know, pra yogic practice is, uh, who am I? So if you're your thoughts, well, which thought? Because there's an awful lot of them. It changes all the time. All the time. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then when people come to identify with the really deeply habitual thoughts, which we call um, you know, ideologies, like I am a Christian, I yeah. am an atheist, whatever it is, then when someone else comes along with other thoughts that challenge those thoughts, it's like a, it's a challenge to your very existence. So clearly you have to kill that person or convert them. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so I, I don't want to close without talking about uh, fear versus love. They have a chapter on that. And in that chapter, you state love is expansive. Fear is contractive. As every single event in life comes along, we can contract to reject it or expand to embrace it. Love less and fear more or love more and fear less. So how do we choose that expansiveness of love over the contractions of fear? Right. Well, there, there are a, a number of methods. Um, one of them is which, and, and I like to throw a lot of, you know, strands of spaghetti against the wall so that for everyone, you know, at least one will stick. Um, right. so, so one wonderful practice for some people is if you have, say, a picture or a photo of some person that for you really embodies that perfect love, you know, whether it's it's the Buddha or Jesus or the Blessed Virgin or 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 your guru or whoever, to just sit and and gaze into their eyes and just and just feel their their love for you. Feel what that feels like. And then you can take a further step which is to close your eyes and just imagine that you're looking through their eyes of love. You're walking around taking a stroll through your neighborhood, looking at everything and everyone through the, those, because we know there are beings like that, through those eyes of perfect love and seeing, oh, you know, everyone's just, <laughs> everyone's
everyone, even when they misbehave, and in a way, especially when they misbehave, they're just trying to be happy. They're just trying to stop being caught up in suffering and confusion. And, oh, there's that one that you call yourself. Oh, there's there there's you. There's Laurel. There's Dean. Oh, look, she she's so sweet. She's trying so hard, and you know, mm-hmm. to see yourself and then see others, see the people that you think of as as problematic. You know, that guy, the one who, if only it weren't for him, everything would be okay. Seeing them through those eyes of love. So that's a beautiful practice that will appeal to some people. To some people, they will go, Nah, what what are you talking about? So. Mm-hmm. So there are other approaches, um, um, and my favorite, which is a little bit deep. I see we're running out of time, so we can't go deep into this. But the but the really profound one is a very simple thing that starts with just putting your hand on the surface of the table or your foot on the ground and and closing your eyes and deeply getting into where does the one and and the other begin and and as you go deeper into that experience more and more you find that there is no clear separation mm-hmm. that there's only this continuum and that uh you know we thought oh I'm this separate wave and you're a separate wave but we're really all this one ocean and as one wonderful teacher Rupert Spira who I I quote there says love is not an emotion it's the lack of an other. It's non-otherness, and that's the that's love on the deepest level. It's saying, you know, how can we other than love? Because there's 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 only one of us here. It's I and I. Mm. Yes, and coming from that perspective, you know, that perspective of unity, and I think everybody has had an experience of that in their lives. You know, whether it be. You know, a beautiful scene in nature, just being kind of awestruck and feeling that, you know, that something larger than, our, than ourselves or being with a baby. Um, so coming from that place and uh, right. also noticing that place, there's no fear. Yeah. And again, it's because it's the most natural thing in the world. Um, and And when these experiences of it come to us spontaneously, we might think, Boy, it would be nice if I could live there all the time. And mm-hmm. the great discovery, and this is you know what I'm so grateful to my own teachers for, the great discovery is that by doing a little practice every day and by looking into the view, more and more we find out, boy, you really can live there all the time. Mm. And with that inspiring thought, unbelievably, we've already come to the end of our, of our time together. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour, and we've been discussing moving towards peace with our special guest, Dean Slater, who has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening since 1970. His book that we've been talking about today is Fear Less, and you can find out more about the book at fearlessbook.com. Net. That's fearlessbook without any spaces.net. Thank you so much, Dean, for joining us. Thank you. Join us next week when my guest will be Rick Hansen. How can we feel less stressed and stay calm and centered in the face of adversity? Kind of a similar topic, but 
we're approaching it from the point of resiliency and talking about Rick's new book, Resilient. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization. For more information about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. If you are enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Sean Smith, and as always, Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again while Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.